If you all turn to Ephesians 4, 29 through 30, that's where we're going to be this morning. We're continuing from our, our time together last week where we're talking about uh, our words and uh, how we use them, how the Lord would have us use them always, and how He would uh, never have us use them. And so you can turn there, but I wanted to read from Luke 19 as we get started. And in Luke 19, verse 37, it says this, And he, Jesus, was drawing near, and the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that, uh, pray that this morning would be a fruitful time. I pray that you would be glorified and honored with every single word spoken. I pray that your saints would be equipped for a work of ministry where they are thereby speaking words that build each other up and never corrupt. Lord, as we consider those who were praising Jesus as he's coming into town, as, as they're lifting on high with their voices, uh, his praises because of all that they had seen that he had done. This morning, I pray that we would be aware of all that you're doing. I pray that our hearts would be overflowing in praise because of all that you are doing. And I pray that the result would be that we would speak words to each other where we are truly building one another up. Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity this morning as we consider the very high call that you place on the life of your children and the way that they're to speak. Quicken us to assess our words, Lord. Lord, if any of us are, are flippant or, or uh, haphazard with our words, I pray that we would repent and follow Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be about obedience, uh, not just in loose terms, but in the very specific terms that you laid out for us this morning and last week. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the work that took place on the cross that enables us to tame our tongues. Because we know otherwise that our tongues are a restless evil full of deadly poison and no human being can tame it. That's why we need you, Jesus. So we're begging you to help us tame our tongues this morning so that they might be used as uh, instruments of mercy for your glory. And grace for your glory. And truth for your glory. Lord, we love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ephesians 4, 29 through 30, it says this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Last week, we considered a few things that we're going to need reminding of uh, this week because last week was a, a little, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe less encouraging because all we talked about was what not to do. Do not speak in this way. These corrupting, these rotten words, don't do that. Make sure no word comes out of your mouth that's like that. And we learned some things that are going to help us to better understand the way we're supposed to talk, the flip side, the positive side of what we're called to in Christ. And so a few things that we need to reconsider as to prepare us for the very high call that God places on our words. Never speak in a corrupting way, only in a way that builds up. It's very definitive. It's very specific. There, is no, there are no terms used there for you to just kind of try or maybe hopefully not say anything too bad. The words are specific. Never speak in a corrupt way, only speak in a way that builds up. And we considered that on average, each of us speak 25,000 words a day. And so that's a high call because each of us sitting here on average, on an average day, speaks 25,000 words a day. And of those 25,000 words, not one is supposed to be corrupting and, and rotten. And of those 25,000 words, every single one of them is supposed to be building up. And so that seems completely impossible, which is why it's important for us to understand Jesus. Because apart from Jesus, it may, you may be sitting there thinking, oh, this is hopeless. And apart from Jesus, it is hopeless. The tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No human being can tame it, so, but Jesus can. And so we desperately need Jesus. And so we talked about that last week. We also talked about how this corrupting talk 
will grieve and quench the Spirit, but talk that builds up is what we call sowing to the Spirit. And we got to understand the difference between the two because if we're talking in the wrong way, we're not sowing to the Spirit. We're grieving the Spirit. If we're talking in the right way, we're sowing to the Spirit. And the best definition that I've found of sowing to the Spirit is that you look to where the Spirit is looking to produce some fruit, and you put the seed of your resources there. You sow the seed of your resources there. And it's not a mystery because God reveals to us what the work of the Spirit is. He aims to produce the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So an example that we considered last week is you know that the Lord aims to produce the fruit of gentleness in your speech. You know that. He tells us that ahead of time. He shares the end of the story with us before we even start uh, the beginning parts. He says, I aim to produce the fruit of gentleness. And so you're saying, if I'm going to sow to the Spirit, I'm going to use the resource of my words particularly, as we're talking about this morning and last week, the seed and the resource of my words, I'm going to put them here, and I'm going to try to be aimed, I'm going to aim to be gentle in my speech. And, and you can do that with each of the fruits of the Spirit. In a, the opposite manner, quenching and grieving the Spirit is kind of like throwing a big bucket of water on a fire. You quench and you grieve that fire. You, you, you're no longer uh, experiencing the, the blessing of heat or light from that fire because you threw a big bucket of water on it. And so what we looked at last week was for us to quench or grieve the Spirit. Well, we considered the three weeks that Ben preached on the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit helps us. The Spirit communicates the truth about Jesus, and the Spirit indwells the life of every single believer. And so we quench and grieve the Spirit, and as much as we deny or refuse the help, or we do not allow others to know of the help that exists in Christ, we quench, we quench and we grieve the Spirit, and as much as we deny the truth of Jesus or we promote a lie, or we keep others from seeing the truth about Jesus. That's quenching and grieving the Spirit. Or we deny or ignore the indwelling of the Spirit in our lives, or we do that in another's life, and that is thereby quenching and grieving the Spirit. We also saw last week that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's not out of the abundance of the circumstance, the situation, or the scenario. And this was a hard one for me because I was like, well, come on. Things can be real bad. You say things you don't mean. Well, you may not mean them, but they were in your heart. And one of the things we looked at was if if another car rear-ends you, what's the first word that comes out of your mouth? Okay? Is it corrupting? Is it rotten? Well, that car rear-ending you did not cause that word. That word was in your heart. Whatever you said is in your heart before that situation happens in that scenario is really a trigger to reveal what was in your heart. It's the same way if someone just rips your head off or or comes at you sideways and says things that are hurtful and mean and spiteful. And if you just let into them and really tell them how you feel and what you think about them and what you've always thought about them as long as you've known them, if you do that, you cannot afterwards say, look, I never would have said that had they not said what they said. Because it was in your heart before they said what they said. What they said was a trigger to reveal what was in your heart. So we can't give excuses where, oh, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have said that. Or if this hadn't been said, I wouldn't have said that. Or if they wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have said that. Because it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so we must pay attention that these are not behavioral issues the way we talk. It's not just stop talking like that. They're heart issues. And that's why we have to understand that it has everything to do with Jesus. Which brings us to the next part of the verse. It'll be our focus this week. Just as a heart filled with the wrong things will produce rotten and corrupting words, a heart filled with the right things will produce words that build up and edify. So there's three parts to verse 29 in Ephesians 4. And we're going to take each of the three and we're going to talk about them. The first part is only such as is good for building up. The second part is as fits the occasion. And the third part is that it may give grace to those who hear. Number one, only such as is good for building up. I apologize for any weird noises that come out of my head this morning. I cannot breathe through either of these nostrils or hear out of this ear. So if you hear a squeak or something, I apologize. That's not on purpose. I'm not trying to be a ventriloquist or anything weird. We're good. So now that's out of the way. There's no elephant in the room anymore. Only such as is good for building up. So we got to ask the question, what builds up? What kinds of words can you use to actually build up? And we need to pinpoint this because there's many things that claim to help you, to fix your problems, to take away your pain, to make you wealthier, 
to prevent loss, to improve your situation. But most of these things fall short of truly building you up. There may be temporary helps. But remember, we talked about the work of the Spirit. The help that the Spirit gives is an eternal help. And so your words, think about your words having an eternal impact. We talked about that real vague phrase, Jesus has a special plan for your life. And we kind of brought it back down to a smaller building block last week where really what this says is he has a special plan for every word that comes out of your mouth. Don't let any of them be corrupt. Let all of them build up. And so here, what we're looking at is that a lot of things may claim to build up, but, but they fall significantly short. So I wanted to find what it means, build up, where it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. The word there is edification. And one of the things that we have to know is to truly edify someone. For there to be actual edification that takes place, it will not happen without truth. It cannot happen without truth. Edification means uh, instruction and improvement. You're instructing, you're hoping that someone is improved, built up by the words that you say. The building up of the body of Christ is another way to say that. In Ephesians 4.12, just a little bit earlier in that same chapter, it says that the saints are equipped for the work of ministry so that this edification, this building up takes place. So everyone here is equipped for a work of ministry when you hear teaching, when you hear preaching, when you engage one another with words that build up, you're being equipped for a work of ministry so that the church would be built up, so that this would happen, that the church would be built up, that the church would be instructed, that we would be moving forward, that we would be improving, that we would be growing in faith. And every word that you speak is to be to this end. That's a high call. The church is to be moving forward and growing in faith and strength and steadfastness and being more loving and using our words appropriately. And every word that you use is to be to that end. It is not God's design, and we must, I feel like we need to define this because I think some of us can have a misconception of this, you know, I just do what I do, and Jesus will come back at some point. I'll just, I just hold, you know, I, don't, I, can't, I can't go be a part of a church. I can't do that. I'm just going to, I'll read my Bible every now and again. I'll just kind of do what I do. Jesus will come back soon, hopefully. And I think that we need to understand that it's not God's design. It is not God's design that the church becomes weaker and weaker, and weaker, and weaker. That over time we shrink back, becoming less steadfast and less instructed until we are so lame and impotent that Jesus must come back and save us. That's not his design. We're to be moving forward, growing in faith, building one another up, having strength. I want you all to look back at Ephesians 4 there in that same chapter that we're reading. Look at verses 11 through 16, and I want you all to tell me if this sounds like a picture of strength to you. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. Speaking the truth in love. There it is again. You cannot actually edify anyone or build anyone up without the truth. You must speak the truth, and you must speak the truth in love. And so in order to truly edify and build each other up, we're speaking the truth in love so that we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, guess what happens? Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. There it is, building up in love. This is a picture of strength. This is not a picture of weakness This is a picture of strength. Christ's goal for his church is not weakness, but strength, maturity, and a stature fitting for those who have experienced the fullness of Christ. We're not to look like spiritual sissies and wusses. We're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be caring about 
our brothers and sisters and how they are. If they're over there in the corner looking puny and weak and just can't do anything, we need to lift them up and build them up, and we can use our words to do that by God's design. It's a picture of strength by the work of the Spirit and the fullness of Christ. Now, there's a key factor here that we must not miss, and each day goes by in a way where we have these opportunities to speak these words, and if we miss this key factor, we're making a big mistake. We can't miss the key factor. We cannot leave out this important part. So here's what I want you all to do. Consider an occasion with me. Consider that uh, you're in a situation and you're talking with someone, and, and they're in a bad place. And so just go to this make-believe place with me in your heads. Consider that they know that you're a believer, and they've, they've heard you uh, mention things of hope and encouragement, because hopefully those are the words we're speaking wherever we are, be it the workplace, be it at home, be it at school, be it at Walmart, whatever. Hopefully we're speaking in the right way. But let's say someone comes to you and they say, look, I, I've noticed, I've heard you, you're a believer. I know you've talked about hope. I, I'm in a situation, and I'm just really anxious, and I'm filled with anxiety, and I need, I just wanted some advice from you. And so someone's coming and asking you for advice because they're filled with anxiety. And you share the following testimony. And listen closely to this testimony. My pastor tells me that I'm not supposed to be anxious. They aren't my burdens to carry. I have had some hard seasons, but I've gotten through them all. I am a Christian. I am a part of a church a church where we help each other and never have to go through anything alone. But I want to encourage you to pray through these things that you're anxious about. At first, listen, that's good job. Good, good, well-spoken. You gave good advice there. At first, listen, it sounds pretty solid. In fact, that's very safe. I think that what I just shared, that testimony that I just shared, is a very safe testimony that can be shared in any uh, cubicle, at any lunch table, um, in any situation you find yourself at work or at school, that could probably be shared pretty safely. And while everything that was said in that testimony is true, all things that are true have a value because of where the truth comes from. And so while all that was said in that testimony is true, what we failed to reveal in that testimony is why those truths are valuable. And this is where if I asked you what you thought, you would give me the Sunday school answer, and you're, you'd be right. Their value comes from Jesus. Jesus. The value of those truths where you're telling someone, hey, you don't have to carry those burdens yourself. It's because of Jesus. You're telling them to pray because Jesus has made it so that they can. It has everything to do with Jesus. So as we're considering what it means to build one another up in love and truly edify one another and speak truth into one another's lives, here's the big question that we must ask, are you willing to talk about Jesus? Are you willing to talk about Jesus? It's, it's a harder question than you may think at first. Because, sure, yeah, I'll talk about Jesus. Are you willing to talk about Jesus even though someone may be offended? Are you willing to talk about Jesus even though someone didn't even see it coming? Do you feel like you have to prep someone for weeks and weeks and weeks before you mention Jesus? Are you willing to talk about Jesus? See, in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, that strength picture, that picture of a church that's growing and that is moving forward and that is steadfast and strong and has the stature of that of the fullness of Christ. That picture there, the body being built up is the body of Christ, Jesus. So if we want people to be built up, we can't leave out the Jesus part. The unity of faith is faith in Jesus. The knowledge is of the Son of God, who is Jesus. The knowledge is of the Son of God. See, there's some knowledge that, that we can share, and it, and it may be helpful, but it may be absent and void of the truth about Jesus. See, the knowledge that we're being built up into here is the knowledge of the Son of God. See, knowledge dealt with wrongly puffs up, and it makes us arrogant and proud, as though, well, I can tell you this, and this, and this, and this deal, and you can say this, and you can try, try this exercise, and try to do this. There's certain knowledge, there, there's a certain handling of knowledge that can puff us up, but Romans 12 says, uh, it says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And what that means is that you should care about knowledge. 
You should care about learning new things about Jesus. But if you're transformed by the renewal of your mind, that transformation is a total transformation, and your heart is affected, and it has everything to do with Jesus. And so when your heart is filled with truths and, and, and joy in Christ, your mouth will overflow with the right words. And so this knowledge that we're talking about of the Son of God is not just book knowledge. It's knowledge that transforms your entire being by the transformation of your mind, that your heart has changed and your words are thereby right and building up. And the stature that we're talking about is the stature of the fullness of Jesus. So I want you all to consider the same situation yet with Jesus and the testimony. If you feel like I'm saying Jesus a lot, it's on purpose. My pastor tells me not to be anxious because all that I could ever need is mine in Christ. Jesus. See, I don't have to be anxious because everything I could ever need has been given to me and promised in Jesus. What Christ accomplished on the cross, that's payment for my sins and fulfillment of eternal life with God by conquering the death that I deserved. Because he did that, this takes away all need that I have to carry my own burdens by myself. See, Christ is my Lord and Christ is my Savior. And Christ is my treasure. So I'm allowed to stop being anxious in the name of Jesus and go to God in prayer, humbling myself before him. In fact, what I found in Jesus is that my anxiety is actually a form of pride. But if I humble myself before him, he gives me peace and understanding that guards my heart, my mind, in Christ Jesus. And casting all my anxieties on him, God always keeps and fulfills every promise in Jesus. And there's great help in being a part of a church where everyone is built up by each other as we cherish Jesus together. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference there? We, you got to ask yourself, do you believe that? Like, do you believe that you have better advice that you could give to someone, better words that you could speak to someone that have nothing to do with Jesus? If you believe that you have something better to give to someone than Jesus, that's called idolatry, and we want to turn from that. We want to, in fact, repent and follow Jesus. Do you believe that people need Jesus? To be unwilling to tell others about Jesus is what it means to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel is considered good news because of Jesus. So to be unwilling to talk about Jesus is what it means to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And my encouragement is simply this. Do not be ashamed. That's what the Bible tells us. I think that's sufficient. Do not be ashamed. The second part is as fits the occasion. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. It's been July 4th weekend. Y'all probably had a, a number of occasions that y'all been at, different occasions, different scenarios where you find yourselves and you're having different conversations with different people. We're to speak in this way as fits the occasion. That means that you have words designed by God that actually fit the occasion. You don't just throw the same waterfall hose of words to every occasion. You got to show some discernment as fits the occasion. So every occasion that we find ourselves in or a part of, and this is key, is a situation and an occasion that has to do with other people. I need to be reminded of this tomorrow. So if someone could do that, that'd be great. This is hard to remember. Your occasions, as fits the occasion, if when I say, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, if you immediately think of, oh, when I'm here, when I do this, and my when I have this conversation, I have this need, I, 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 that means you're a selfish person, and you need to repent and follow Jesus. I fall into that kind of selfishness. I've got this going on. I've got this ministerial opportunity. I've got this meeting with this person. I've got this deal that I've got to prepare. I, 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 I. But the occasions have to do with other people. We're talking about words and conversation. There has to be another person for you to have a conversation unless you're crazy. Occasions. We find ourselves in our part of in a situation. They have to do with other people. Whether that person is a believer or not, you will only build them up in as much as you can help them to see what Jesus has to do with their situation. Do you believe that Jesus has something to do with everybody you encounter, whether they're believers or not? You should, because he does. You will build others up in as much as you can help them to see what Jesus has to do with their occasion. They may think all I need here is encouragement, a pat on the back, 
But you know as a believer, no, you need Jesus. They may think, all I need is some money. Help me out. All I need is to pay my bill. But you as a believer should know, no, 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 you need Jesus. And Jesus has a lot to say about your money. Jesus has a lot to say about your relationships. Jesus has a lot to say about your parenting. Jesus has a lot to say about families, about friendships, about your job. In fact, every aspect of your life, Jesus has something to say about it. And so as people who aim to build one another up, we want to tell others what Jesus has to say about their lives, given the situation as fits the occasion. So this obviously takes uh, knowing the person. This may, <laughs> this may be obvious. You've got to know them. You've got to actually know what they're talking about. Have, I'm sure we've all experienced this, and hopefully I've never been the one to do this for you. But when you're talking to a person, and you're just talking, and you're talking, and then you ask a question, and they just, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, sure, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you realize that for maybe five minutes, that person hasn't listened to a thing you have said. It just frustrates you to no end. In order to speak a word that fits the occasion, you must listen. You must, like, quit talking, quit looking at your watch, quit thinking about your other occasions, and listen, because there's a word that fits the occasion that can build that person up. That's, this, this is hard. Is anybody in here busy this week? Yeah, everyone. Liars, you should be raising your hands. <laughs> We're busy people. And so as fits the occasion, this is hard because... Most of the conversations you have throughout the course of the day were not conversations that were on your schedule to have. God brought them about. There's an occasion. You have a word that you can fit in there that will help that person and build them up. You got to know the person. You have to listen to the person. One of the things that Richard Baxter in his rude book says, the Reformed pastor, it's not a rude book, it's just really convicting. He said, he said you can't just know their names you have to know their tendencies and their proclivities and their, what are they tempted by and what do they struggle with? What's, what are, what's their hurdle going to be next week? If you want to speak a word to them that builds them up, you've got to know them. You've got to know how they're wired and what they're going to lean towards and how you can pull them back to Jesus. That's, that's crazy. That's a high call. But in Jesus, it's, it's, it's a possibility. It's a reality. And it's hard. It, it's, it takes work to speak in this way. To actually live up to what Ephesians 4.29, no corrupting talk, only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, it's pretty, pretty specific. And if not for Jesus, we're all doomed to utter failure. So you got to listen to the person, you got to know the person, and you have to show discernment when you speak. What you tell this person may not be the exact same thing that you tell this person over here in this conversation, but whatever you tell them, it all has to do with Jesus. We must make sure of that. Now, this kind of speaking that fits the occasion will only be done by a person who is teachable and humble. This kind of talk, these kind of words will only come from a mouth of a person who is teachable and humble. And I want you all to turn to Isaiah 50 verse 4. When I was talking about this stuff with my wife, sitting in the kitchen, I was talking about direction for this sermon and everything. And she said, oh, that reminds me of Isaiah 50. Like, man, that's like the hottest thing you ever said. <laughs> this reminds me of Isaiah 50. I was like, well, let's turn there and read it together. It's crazy. Isaiah 50, verse 4. And it's great because as I looked at this, I realized how much this verse has to say about teachability. And before I read this, I want to confess publicly that if you're a person who's not teachable or who has had issues with teachability, you are not alone. I have struggled with that immensely. When I first came to Crosspoint uh, about six years ago, one of the biggest issues that Ben and I had working together is that he was a great teacher and I was not teachable. And that caused some friction because I, I thought to myself, I know a lot, so I probably don't need to hear much from you. And what I do need to figure out I'll probably be able to figure out on my own. So why don't you just let me do my work and back off? That resulted in a not good environment of doing ministry together. Why? Because it's God's design that we're teachable. And so God brought me very low. And what I want us to see is that if you think that grace, to, to pull you out of your sinful life, if you think that grace just kind of had to do this and just reach up to, here you go. 
then you're mistaken. We're sinful, wicked people by nature of our humanity. And grace reaches very, very low. If you are having issues with seeing that, go listen to the Surely He Stinketh series. And by part 85, you're going to say, oh my goodness, I am wretched. Save me. Grace reaches very low to save us. And if we see that and we know that, then we'll be teachable because we know there's more for us to learn. And I had to learn that. And so teachability, lack of teachability is something I'm very familiar with personally. And I hope that Isaiah 50 encourages you if you're in a similar place. Isaiah 50 verse 4 says this. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught. Think about what that just said. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught. Some other translations say, the Lord has given me the tongue of the disciples. What did the disciples receive a lot of from Jesus? Teaching. Another translation says, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned, or learned, however you want to say it. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who have learned something, who have been taught like disciples. Another, another version says, the Lord has given me the tongue of one who has the capacity to be his spokesman. If you're sending someone out to speak on your behalf, you probably want that person to know what they need to say, right? You've got to teach them what they need to say. The Lord has given me a tongue to speak as one who is his spokesman. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are instructed. The Lord has given me the tongue of one who is taught. And why? Why? Because that's cool. Great. We're, we're taught people. There's teachability there. Wonderful. Why? To what end? Keep reading. That I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. That's sweet. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. So you don't do that on your own. You can't muster that. The Lord gives you a tongue to speak in that way so that when you see a weary brother or sister, you can sustain them with a word that fits that occasion. It's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Because if God didn't do this, we're all walking around depressed, bummed, and unencouraged all the time. This is beautiful. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain, a word, sustain with a word him who is weary. And then listen to this next part. I love this next part. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Proverbs 25, 11 says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Words fitly spoken are good. And here's what I want us to see from this, this Isaiah 50 verse. All of us are prone to weariness, right? You're kidding yourself if you think that you're not prone to weariness. If we were not prone to weariness, Paul would never have to have written to the Galatians, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll, we'll reap a harvest. That was a word fitly spoken by Paul to the church in Galatia because they're prone to weariness like the rest of the believers. There would not be all this talk about steadfastness and being encouraged and moving forward and being bold and being strong if we were not all prone to weariness. And here, what we're seeing is that a word that fits the occasion is not coincidental. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had that situation where you've had like a bad morning or you had a hard conversation with someone and someone comes along and they just say something and you just go, I can't believe you just said that. I had this conversation with this person and this, and you just said that. That's crazy. What a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. It's a gift from God. God quickened that person to have an ear to hear and a tongue that's taught to speak to your situation. Thank God in those circumstances. Don't write it off as a coincidence. God is very, very good. Those situations where it's like, I can't believe they just said that, or, oh, I really needed to hear that. I had a situation with, with a... Uh, with a person and I was all angry and upset and someone came along to me and said, hey, you're keeping a record of wrongs with that person and love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. I was like, oh, I needed to hear that. <laughs> and it was good. And man, it changed. It was fit the occasion and it changed things. But if that person wasn't listening and if he didn't have an ear from the Lord and a tongue from the Lord to hear what needed to be heard and to speak in a way that he was taught, that wouldn't have happened. 
So, as fits the occasion, that it may build up other people. Here's another thing I want us to see about that teachability. Teachability is of great importance. Um, God quickens you to it daily. Did you hear that in Isaiah 50? Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens me to have an ear to hear so that you can speak those kind of words. Do you know what else is new every morning? His mercies. God's mercies are new every morning, and according to Isaiah 50, he also quickens his children every morning to have an ear to hear as those who are taught so that we may have a tongue to speak as those who are taught. So teachability in the eyes of the Lord is a huge, important thing. So if any of us are in a place where we're like, you know what, I've got most of this figured out, and if I don't have it figured out, I'll do it on my own. I don't need to hear that from you. We need to repent, and we need to follow Jesus because we desperately need to be taught by other people. Not just the preacher or the teacher in the class, but by each other. Teachability is this community effort where it's happening every day and all these different occasions. As the occasion presents itself, uh, I should be listening for other people so that as the occasion presents itself, I will have Christ-centered words to sustain the weary and build them up. So always just be asking the question, who else needs to hear this? And file it away. I've done that before where I'm thinking, oh, so-and-so could hear this, and I'll be thinking, oh, I'll probably forget. And somehow, God presents this occasion where I'm like, oh, yeah, I can share that with this person. He always does that. It's not coincidence. In every occasion, this is a hard part, in every occasion, you and the other people, the other people of the occasion, you're speaking a word as fits the occasion, in every one of these occasions, you and the other people, I believe biblically, are one of four types of people. Now, generally, I know that no one likes to be labeled. Oh, you think I'm that kind of person, do you? Generally, I know that that's hard to hear, like, well, you may be this kind of person, and then this person's this kind of person. But I want you all to hear me out on this, and if you think it's wrong, tell me, because I need to hear from my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I believe this is biblical, and I believe it's encouraging. So I want you to turn to Titus 2. I'm going to be reading from three chunks of Scripture. You're going to turn to Titus 2, and then we'll be in uh, 1 Timothy, which is just to the left, so you'll be able to turn there quickly. But I believe we need to understand our place and what kind of people we are and what kind of people the people we're engaging in these other occasions with words are, because I think it'll help us to speak in the right way. And so I'm going to read these three pieces of Scripture, and the first one's Titus 2, verses 2 through 8. And I want y'all to listen to the kind of people that are mentioned, and I want y'all to listen to the way that those kind of people talk. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women are likewise to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. And I'll turn over to 1 Timothy 4, just to the left, just a little bit. First Timothy 4, verse 12. Spoken to the, those younger people who were mentioned. Let no one despise you for your youth, so if you're a kid in here right now or you're not an adult or you're in that weird in-between stage, I'm talking to you. Listen up. Don't sit there and, and, and zone out because this is really important. God has a plan for every word coming out of your mouth too. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech. You can't just say, don't despise me. The Bible says so. No, you don't let them despise you by setting an example in speech for every believer. And then in 1 Timothy 5.1, just a little bit down in the same column there, it says this to young Pastor Timothy. He was a younger guy. It says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. 
Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters. So if I take all these verses into account, everyone in this room has been addressed. You've been addressed. You've been spoken to by God, taking all these verses into account. And you've been addressed as either a younger man, an older man, a younger woman, or an older woman, or seasoned, as they say around here. A younger man, older man, younger woman, seasoned woman. And everyone has a responsibility. Everybody who's a part of the church, who believes in Jesus, who claims to be one who follows Jesus, you have a responsibility with your words. Everyone's been covered in just these three short little pieces of Scripture. And your responsibility may differ depending on the situation. Now, I think this is important for us to see. Listen to this. Ask the question, am I older or younger here? Because the way that I would address a guy who's in his 50s or 60s may be a little bit different than the way that I would address uh, one of the students who's 12. It'll likely be different. Not Not just by cultural respect, but because of biblical mandate. It may be different. Am I the older or the younger here? This is important for us to know. And what I want us to see here is this is not about putting up age barriers. I'm a young minister. The last thing I want to do is put up another age barrier. The the Sunday school class, when we moved here like six years ago, it was like 66 and older, 60 to 65, 50 to 55. And there were lots of age barriers, as I could see. Now, it's appropriate to gather with people who are in a like place and encourage one another. But in that situation, I would say that they were more of a barrier than they were um, a help. And so here, what I want us to see is when I say, ask the question if you're older or younger, am I the younger man, am I the older man, am I the younger woman, am I the older woman? Am I doing what God tells me to do according to these scriptures? It's not about putting up age barriers. It's really very much about breaking them down and pulling down those things that come between us. Because this says, this doesn't say put up a barrier with your age and only speak to people who are of a like age. This says you have a responsibility to speak to everyone in the right way. And so it's not about putting up an age barrier. It's about breaking it down so that we might rightly build each other up. So let's ask the question, how do we tear it down? What does that look like? If I apply these verses, what does it look like if we're tearing these barriers down? First, it looks like this. Interestingly, it's not just left to the older, more mature Christians to do all the talking. It's not up to only the older, more mature Christians to do all the talking. If you have ever been a Sunday school teacher, an outspoken believer, or a minister, you're praying at Thanksgiving. You're the one who's praying. Because I want to say, oh, would you like to pray? <laughs> or Christmas, or whatever. It'll happen every time. But here's what I'm seeing here, is that it's not just up to older or more mature believers to do all the talking. If you're younger, youngsters, which I may be one, depending on how old you are. If you're younger, your aim is to set an example in Christ-centered speech that builds up. That's your aim. If you're a younger person who's a part of this church, you need to know as a member of this church, you have a responsibility to set an example in your speech for all believers. And if you are speaking to one who is older, you address them as you, with respect, as you would a father. If you're speaking to one who is older, address them with respect as you would a parent, a father, or a mother. Now, if you have issues with the way that you address your parents, you can go read Ephesians 5 and see children obey your parents, honor them in every respect. But if you're speaking to someone who's older, whether they're as old as your mom and dad or not, or older, whatever, you speak to them with respect as you would a mother or father. And for those who are older, you're to come alongside these young men and women setting an example for them and teaching them. And ideally, you're reiterating those truths that are not, or <laughs> ideally, you're reiterating those truths that are being taught to them in the homes. That's the idea, is that moms and dads are teaching their students and their children, these younger men and younger women in their homes, and you're coming alongside as an older man, an older man or a seasoned woman in the, in the church, and you're saying, I want to come alongside you, and I want to teach these, and I want to set an example, and I want to encourage you and reiterate those truths that you've heard. See, these break down the barriers. It was interesting to me that um, as a younger man is called to address an older man as he would a father, an older man is not called to address a younger man as he would a son. He's called to address him as a brother. 
or a sister. This is interesting. It's said that the ground at the foot of the cross is quite level. And I believe this is God's design for communication within the church body so that at all times, all individuals, young and old, have a responsibility to watch and assess their words, making sure that each of them is building up those who hear them. See, it's cool because if the young person is supposed to look to the older person, whether the young person is 35 or 12 or 8, as they're to look to the older person, speak to them and address them as they would a father, then at no time can a younger pastor or teacher like young Pastor Timothy lord his authority over an older man. He's supposed to speak to him and encourage him as he would a father. And in a like manner, since the older man's not called to speak to the younger man as a son, but as a brother, this is pretty cool. That means that the older man cannot lord his experience and status over a younger man. Why? Because we're each made new in Christ. And each of us has a responsibility to aim with every one of our words to build up our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a cool design. That is God's, that, that is God just laying it out there saying, look, there's a better way to communicate. Take, take away all your silly little standards that you have and your cultural norms and just do it like this and you'll be built up and you'll be strong. You'll be standing in that stature that is indicative of one who has experienced the fullness of Christ. So here's the last thing. Maybe the most extraordinarily amazing part of this whole verse, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Grace is not a small thing. We are so conditioned that we hear of grace and mercy every day. That we kind of like, oh, grace, mercy, Jesus. Like they're just Sunday school answers. Give me my piece of candy. I'm fine. Grace, Jesus. I don't know. Deacons. I don't know. What? We're conditioned to these words. Grace is no small thing. Speak in a manner that fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Grace. Is there anything greater? Hear this question and answer it rightly. Is there anything greater than a sinner receiving in Christ from the hand of God that abundant blessing an eternal inheritance which they could never deserve or earn? That's grace. Is there anything greater than that? To know that you were at the absolute depth of all depravity while you were in your sin, and while in that sin, while you were still a sinner, Jesus came in and pulled you out, and you received grace. You received that which you did not deserve. Is there anything greater than that? And you're telling me that with a word I can give grace to those who hear. Grace. Consider a divine influence upon the heart by a word fitly spoken. A divine influence on the heart of another. Be them weary, be them in whatever situation they are. A divine influence on their heart by a word that is fitly spoken. With your words, you can communicate to an individual God's tender removal of the misery that they bring upon themselves in their sinning. With your words, you can gracefully build someone up by showing them that a God of redemption Showing them that real, true God of redemption who just breaks the bonds of sin. You tell them about Jesus, and they see that with words, grace-giving words. That's huge. My hope is that we would be wise stewards of so great a treasure. Do you view your words as a treasure? Do you view your ability to speak and communicate to people as a great treasure? Because if you view it as a treasure, you'll be a wise steward of it. If you value it highly, you will steward it. If I gave you a bunch of the, uh, a treasure chest of gold, would you just leave it in your car? Would you just leave it sitting out in the hallway? Hope that everyone's honest today. Would you just not assess it at all? Would you just let years go by without counting it, making sure it's all still there? That's a... a, a chest of gold, that's nothing compared to words. Are you just letting your words sit around in the hallway, not assessing them? Are you just letting them float around, unviewed, unassessed, unguarded? Our words are a treasure, and I hope that we'd be wise stewards of such a great treasure. See, I used to, I used to have this really messed up view that somehow my ministry uh, was affected because of... Uh, like you're, that a ministry could be limited by money. Oh, we can't do that. We don't have the money. 
Like as if all of your ministry could actually be negatively affected because of a lack of money, even though the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. See, what I'm getting at is our words are important. And no matter what the situation is, you have your words and you can build someone up. If you are the poorest person sitting in here, you have words. If you're the richest person sitting here, whoopity-doo, your words are better. See, I may not have financial riches by which I can relinquish your financial burdens, but I have divine words. And with them, you will see that Jesus is the great provider who will never leave you or forsake you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's the great provider. I may not have a medical miracle of healing by which I can take away your physical pain, but I have truth-filled words. And with them, I can tell you that Christ is the great physician. And one day, because of his finished work on the cross, you will no longer suffer. That's a word that builds up. That's a word that's encouraging. That's a word that fits the occasion. You will experience life beyond your imagination. The hope is that we would highly value our words, that we would be stewards of them as if they amounted to all the riches of the world a thousand times over. Go in your mind to this place with me. I want to paint a picture. Consider you're a person who likes to help people. And let's say that someone has seen that you like to help people, but let's say, now this is a scenario. You got to go there with me. It's make-believe. It'll likely not happen to anyone. But if it did, it informs us. Let's consider a scenario where someone sees you as a person who generally likes to help people and who's a giving, an open-handed, big-hearted person. And let's say that you think, gosh, I could do so much for these people if I had this or this or this. Let's say that that person comes to you and they're a person who doesn't know Jesus. And let's say that person says to you, I've noticed that you like to help people. I will give you $10 million to help anyone you want. And the one stipulation is you cannot talk about Jesus anymore. You can do a lot with $10 million. You can start an orphanage. You can start a food pantry. You can help widows relinquish their financial burden. You can do a lot with $10 million. So let's say that person comes and says, I notice you like helping people. I notice you're big-hearted and open-handed. Here's $10 million. You can spend it however you want. Just don't talk about Jesus anymore. My hope is that an offer like this would be ridiculously laughable laughable. My hope is that an offer like this for one who has been loved by Jesus, that they would see that treasure for what it is, and they would say, ha, ha, a million dollars is a joke compared to sustaining a weary brother or sister with a word. Do we believe that? Ha, $10 million is chump change compared to the innumerable, immeasurable, unfading, eternal riches that are in Christ that I get to tell people about with my words. No, no deal. That's lame. My words are more valuable than that. They can build someone up with my words. I can give grace. That's sweet. Do we value our words like that? Do we even think of them as a treasure from day to day? Do they go unassessed, unaccounted for? This last part is that grace is not ours to give. I don't want you to mishear me and think that I'm saying, you just go tell people about Jesus, you saved their life. You gave them grace. Because I would just dismiss and we would disperse and we would go get the whole community done. Bam. That's not how it works. Whose is grace to give? It's God's to give, right? So it says I can give grace with my words, so that must mean that there's something that's going on there that has everything to do with God. See, grace is not ours to give, it's God's to give. So one final way that we give grace with our words is by identifying the evidences of grace in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's one way that we give grace with our words, is that we see and we watch their lives, and we're not selfish people only looking at our lives, we're humble people because of Jesus, and we're looking at their lives. And we're saying, oh man, I see God at work here, I see God at work here, I see God at work here and we tell them those things. We identify the evidences of grace in their life. If God indwells by His Spirit the life of every believer, then there are evidences of grace everywhere. Do you see them? Do you see them? Do you care to see them? We have to be quickened to this. Do we see the evidences of grace in the lives of those around us? 
God, you may be thinking of that one person that you're like, oh, I don't know. I mean, they say they're a believer, but I don't know if I can identify anything there. I want you all to be reminded that God who makes the strongest of the brothers to stand is the same God who enables the weakest of all brothers to stand. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and do you know what was going on in the church in Corinth? There was sexual immorality. They were suing each other. They were getting drunk on the communion wine. I mean, really imagine that. Imagine if we didn't have juice and we had wine, and we all partook and remembered the Lord. And you came in 15 minutes later, and there's a a group of people around this little table hammered because they drank all the wine. That's pretty wicked. No one in here would be like, oh, that's weird, huh? They'd be like, what are you doing? It's unheard of. This is the kind of things, the kind of wickedness that the church in Corinth was about. And you know how Paul started his letter to them? He said this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He identifies grace in their lives. They need to be admonished. They need to be rebuked. Some of them need to be helped. Some of them need to be encouraged. But they need to be corrected. But still, he's able to say, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. For the church in Corinth, those were words that built up. Those were words that built up. God's grace is active in the life of every single believer, and it's our job to help them to see it. It's our job to help them see the grace that's active and at work in their lives. Have you ever had someone come up to you and say, hey, I, I know you've struggled with this, but I saw this, and this, was, this blessed me, what you did, what you said in this situation, and it was encouraging to me, and I wanted to tell you that. That, that, that encourages you. That puts a pep in your step for the rest of the day. And that's identifying an evidence, evidence of grace in, in someone's life. You may know that someone is struggling with something and you see them making large strides in that. You make sure that rather than just coming alongside them and constantly telling them what they're doing wrong, you identify the evidence of grace in their life. We need to do that with our children. Ask the question, is your home a home that is an environment of grace or is it an environment of correction? Because it's supposed to be an environment of grace because correction works within an environment of grace. We're not supposed to try and squeeze grace into an environment of correction. See, he goes to correct the church in Corinth on some pretty hard stuff. And they could hear it because he knew that God's grace was at work in their lives. So I encourage you to to do your best to identify that grace Be it in the lives of your children, your friends, your coworkers, your brothers and sisters in Christ, because it builds them up. In closing, I want to share a quote. Normally, in closing, I'd want to share a scripture, but we're talking about words from from each other that build each other up, and these are words from C.J. Mahaney on on edification, and I think it's a good way for us to close because I think it'll build us up and encourage us in the truth. Truly edifying words are words that reveal the character and the promises and the activity of God. Truly edifying words aren't just a chuck on the shoulder to say, hey, good job, keep your head up, keep on keeping on, whatever. Truly edifying words are words that reveal the character and the promises and the activity of God. They're cross-centered words. They're words rooted in and derived from Scripture. Words that identify the active presence of God and words that communicate the evidences of grace that you observe in others. And these are words that flow from a humble heart, Because it's only a humble heart that takes the time to assess the occasion in the life of another person so that they can put a word there that fits and encourages them and sustains them when their soul is weary. Pray with me. God, there is nothing small about what you've called us to in Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. For us to be careful with every word, to assess every word is a high call. And without Jesus, we can't do it. The tongues of restless evil full of deadly poison, and we'll be crashing ships and herding horses and starting forest fires all day long, if not for Jesus. But because of Jesus, we can speak in this way. And so I pray that we, as a people, would be urgent about assessing our words and making sure that not one of them is corrupting and rotten and that every one of them is building up. Lord, help us to see the occasions. Help us to embrace the occasions that we can speak those words in. And help us to rejoice in knowing that grace can be given and identified 
through a word fitly spoken. Your word says life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so I pray that we would be quickened to make sure we use our tongues as those who are taught, that we would be eager to be teachable, that we would wake up tomorrow morning and say, thank you, Lord, for giving me an ear this morning that hears as those who are taught so that I may have a tongue to speak as those who are taught. And thank you for Jesus by whom my heart would remain unchanged unless he was to intercede and change. Lord, we love you. We do thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.